as soon as I get this thing on. And I'll work. Turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies in living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's open our time in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all of us, that all of us could come together to worship you, to remember your sacrifice on the cross, and not to hear a message from your word. Lord, uh, please let the message touch the hearts of everyone who hears it whether here in person or home remotely, Lord, and uh, may the message that you have for each and every one of us that may not be the same, that it would reach us, that we'd be open to hearing it. In Christ's name, amen. All right. I almost started without having my notes in front of me. That would have been interesting. All right. So, if you haven't figured it out already, looking at the idea of being a living sacrifice. So, Specifically, one of the primary things I want to do this morning is look at some of the sacrifices in the Old Testament and ways specifically where they came short and how we cannot make the same mistakes as we live our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, Israelites, for the most part, they slaughtered animals and offered them as sacrifices, for the most part. Grain offerings, other things, but for the most part, it was a one and done. Here's the offering, take it, burn it on the altar, and you're done. That's the sacrifice not so for us. We are, we are the sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. Turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, beginning in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Christ has redeemed us. Therefore, we are His. And we are called to live our lives for Him, not for ourselves. Now, living our lives as a living sacrifice can take many forms. It can be how we use our time, money, resources, anything at our disposal. Probably the most obvious one, the first thing that we believers have to do is to deny the sin nature inside of us, our sinful desires. We are called to live a life worthy of Christ. Now, we are not free of our sin nature, as long as we are in these mortal bodies. One day we will be free of them. But still, we are called to live, to push beyond our sin nature. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us to do so. But, the problem becomes, do we offer to God what we think we can afford, or what we're willing to sacrifice, or what He demands we sacrifice? Turn with me over to Malachi chapter 1. If you're wondering where Malachi is, go to Matthew chapter 1 and go back a page. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Just a fair warning, we will be jumping around a lot. Don't feel the need to keep your finger anywhere. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? 
turn over, skip down to verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God deserves and demands the best. As it says here, he's a great king. Would you offer to the governor, president, uh, town uh, mayor, whatever, anyone in a position of authority, something that's subpar, just barely enough to get by? Or do you do your best? Because they are the ones in charge. They are the ones with the power. And they are the ones who deserve the best. In fact, God is so abhorred by this, by offering lame and sick animals, that he says, let that person be cursed. I mean, Israel was going so far as to offer blind and lame animals, even stolen ones, because they were unwilling to offer their own animals. I mean, how stubborn do you have to be that you have a certain, it specifically says, cursed is the one who has a flock, who's able to give what God asks, very clearly, but then goes and offers something below what God demands. I mean, how far do you have to be? How lost do you have to, your mind have to be to think that it's okay to commit a sin, to steal from someone else and offer that to God? Because God can be particular. God doesn't want what we think we can give or what we can afford to give. He wants what he wants, what he demands, what he asks of us. Moses actually touched on this last week. Saul, before he was converted, he thought he was doing what God wanted. He was willingly killing believers because he thought they were apostates, people who denied the true living God. But in fact, believers were the followers of the true living God. And Saul, later to become Paul, allowed his plans to be derailed because he saw not what he wanted, what he thought God wanted, but what God actually revealed to him that he wanted. But still, sometimes we are, God reveals to us very clearly what he wants and expects of us, and we refuse to do it. In fact, the firstborn human being on this planet resorted to murder rather than offer to God what he wanted. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So we have here, however you want to dice it up, Abel very clearly brought to God what God wanted, desired, and was entitled to, the best. 
Cain didn't do so. He offered what he wanted to give God, not what God wanted. And so Cain was explicitly told here. Cain knows what he's doing wrong. God specifically says, do you not know? If you give me the best like Abel did, Abel did, will you not be accepted the exact same way as your brother? But in, yet rather than change his ways and say, you know what? I am willing to give God what he wants, or even just to say, you know what, I'm willing to pay the price of not being accepted by God, he rather confronts and kills his own brother because of this. As I was prepping for this morning, I couldn't help but think of a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman called Whatever. Those of you who know the song probably know where I'm going with this, but... The beginning of the song is essentially the singer is saying, I'm making a list of all the ways God can best use me. Strengths, abilities, talents, every way that I think God can use me. But herein lies the problem. When you create a list of things that you're willing to do for God, that you think God can use you for, you inherently create a list of everything else that you don't think God can use you for, that you're not willing to give to Him. And that is why, no matter how well-intentioned the list is, is you want to serve God. It's, it's not a bad thing. But we cannot allow ourselves to be blinded by what we want and think God can use us for, rather than say, God, whatever you want me to do, that I will do. Sometimes that can be challenging, because what God asks for can sometimes hurt. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 24, that his disciples would have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Taking up a cross is not a fun thing. Jesus did not take the cross out of, oh, this is going to be a nice way to save humanity. No, it was the most excruciatingly painful way for him to die, and that's why he had to die that way. And Christ did it for us. So how can we not pick up our own burdens and painful experiences to serve him when he has done already so much for us? I mean, Jesus... In Gethsemane, he prayed, let this cup pass from me. He knew the pain, so much so that he was willing, he actually sweat drops of blood. But he said, not my will, your will be done. Sometimes these sacrifices that God calls us to don't even make sense. I mean, think about it. Genesis 22, Abraham was called to sacrifice his own son. I mean, everything we know about God, that makes absolutely no sense. God is completely against human sacrifices. Yet Abraham would not withhold from God anything that God asked. And for that, Abraham was blessed and rewarded. But why does God ask for things that cost much? Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, beginning in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make the quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, 
her whole livelihood. This widow has given an insignificant sum, objectively. Compared to the massive amounts I'm sure the wealthy were able to contribute, what she gave was small, not much. But to her, it meant so much more than the amount that mattered to the rich men. If you're a billionaire and you give up a million dollars, you still have $999 million. You're not going to miss that one million. But this one widow has barely enough to live on and still gives to God. I mean, who knows? These, this little amount of money that she had given could have been her next meal. She may not know where her next meal is coming from. But yet she's still willing to give to God because she knows he deserves it. In fact, David himself would not offer a sacrifice that cost him nothing. Turn to 1 Chronicles 21. As you turn there, just a little background. David has ordered a census to be taken of all the fighting men in Israel. God is not happy and sends plagues upon Israel. And so in order to stop the plagues, David is commanded to go to a specific plot of land and offer a sacrifice there. 1 Chronicles 21, beginning in verse 22. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that, with that which costs me nothing. David was not willing to offer to God something that cost him nothing. Because in the end, that's not a sacrifice. You're just taking one thing, turning around, giving to God. You have not lost a thing. A sacrifice in the eyes of God is valued by the personal cost that it is to the, from the giver. I mean, even with, think back to Abraham. His son was the promised son given to him in old age. His son was probably the most, most important thing in his life other than God. But yet when God asked, Abraham wasn't willing to withhold anything, even his own son. Because he put God before anything else. So we have to consider in our own lives, do we sacrifice? Do we live our lives for God only when it's convenient? Only when, you know what, I've got nothing else to do today. Let me go and serve God. Or do we say, you know what, I've only got five minutes left. I'm going to go try to do something in these five minutes before I have to do something else. And again, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.13, God encourages us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We are not to not enjoy life. But we cannot allow self-pleasure to get in the way of our service to God when he has called us to do something. And sometimes, sometimes the cost is straight off. The moment you know this is what you have to do, this is the cost. Other times you don't know what the cost is going to be in the end. 
In Leviticus 25, I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but the sacrifice of the Sabbath year. The Israelites were commanded one year out of every seven years, they were not to reap or sow the land. That is a serious risk. If God doesn't come through, then you're going to go hungry. And sometimes God calls us to just be messengers. But there's a reason why don't shoot the messenger is such a common phrase. Because we as people love to blame the person bringing the news even if they had nothing to do with the news in and of itself. Think about all the prophets in the Old Testament who brought God's word, who just simply pointed, look at the Torah, look at the Old Testament, well, it's definitely God's word, you're clearly not doing it, and how much they were persecuted. Elijah ran for his life from Queen Jezebel for years. Jeremiah was beaten and put in the stocks. Micaiah, a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, was arrested until the king's safe return after he prophesied the king would not safely return. Zechariah was stoned in the court of the house of the Lord, killed just for saying, you're not obeying the Torah. And the people wouldn't hear it. Sometimes we're called to be messengers. Sometimes we see a friend, co-worker, family member even, who isn't saved, and we feel the calling, the conviction, to share the gospel with them. But we know if we do that, they may not take it well. In fact, that could be the end of that relationship. But are you willing to sacrifice your relationship with that person? You're not sure whether or not it'll cost you it, but are you willing to? And even sometimes, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes you see a brother or sister in sin and you need to exhort them. Sometimes people do not take exhortation well. It's just the way we are, even as believers. But we still have to be willing to put our relationships on the line if it means following God and what he wants. It's no stranger to us, I'm sure, that Scripture makes it very clear that we are going to be hated by the world. Sometimes following God and doing what he wants strains our relationship with the world. Are we willing to go through with that? Now, we are called to give to God what he wants, but there can be costs for not giving him what he demands and expects. The Sabbath year, that one year out of every seven years the Israelites were commanded, there is no record in biblical or outside of the Bible anything that clearly indicates that the Israelites actually practiced this ever in the history that they were in the land for about 490 years. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Beginning in verse 20. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Of those 490 years that the Israelites were in the land, 
they didn't go come through for God and fulfill the 70 Sabbaths that were within those 490 years. And so when the exile comes, God specifically says, because you have not kept the Sabbath, the exile will have to last for 70 years before everyone is called back to return to Israel. Even Saul. Saul lost his kingdom in the end. None of his descendants ever sat on the throne because he made one stupid mistake. He got impatient. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel 13, beginning in verse 7. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines, Philistines gathered together at Milkat, Milkmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplications to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Think about it. Saul just got impatient and offered the sacrifice himself. He was not a priest or a prophet, so he had no right to offer a sacrifice. We today are a priesthood under Christ. We do not have this restriction. But Saul was clearly told in law that he was not eligible to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord directly. But Saul, like I said, lost his patience, was fearful, and gave in and offered the sacrifice himself. He didn't even offer it wrong. He just offered it not the way that God specifically told him to. And because of this, the kingdom is taken away and his descendants will not reign after him. It actually says specifically that if you hadn't, the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. Who knows? If he had, maybe he would have been the ancestor of Christ instead of David. But because he made this one foolish mistake and offered it himself rather than the way that God wanted it cost him dearly. Turn with me over to Malachi chapter 3. Sorry, I know don't keep your finger anywhere. This is the only time it's, we're actually going back somewhere. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Malachi 3.8 Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. We, thankfully, as believers, do not have a set tithing that we have to give to God. But we are called to offer to him, to live our lives for him. And these Israelites don't do it, and because of it, they're cursed. I mean, it's not just, I'm not going to bless you. It's, I'm going to curse you for not giving me all that I demand. And in fact, it's pretty much the deal that God has had with Israel. It's not just a, do what's right and I'll bless you, otherwise I'm not going to help you at all. It's, do what I ask, and if you refuse and turn to other idols and don't give to me what I ask, I will curse you. I will be against you. There is always a cost for not giving God what he wants. We may not see it immediately. We may not even realize that that's what it is. But God never asks us to sacrifice anything without a reason. And he doesn't ask us to sacrifice for no reason at all. Sacrifice is not without reward. Go one more verse in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3 verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless the people of Israel and give them more than enough food. But if they're not willing to put his needs first, how can he make their needs a priority? Now again, this is specifically with the covenant between Israel and God. This doesn't necessarily, again, we are not restricted that you have to give a specific percentage of your income as a tithe unto the Lord. That's between everyone and God himself. But still, Christ says, when we live for him, there is still reward. Turn with me over to Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Many of you know this passage. If you want to look at it deeper, read, go back to verse 25 and read through until this point. But God is, Christ is essentially saying, don't, why do you worry so much about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? Look at the birds, look at the flowers. They're clothed, they're fed, they're taken care of. How much more value are you? And so he says here, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and he'll take care of all of your needs. Now, just to be clear here, God is not saying that he'll give you all of your desires and everything that you think you need. He knows what you actually need. And he will protect and provide for you as he sees fit, not as what we want. Sometimes, and that does take a level of trust. But that's not it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 29. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. I believe I said this already, but God wants to reward us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us every spiritual blessing. Everything he can possibly give us, he wants to. He's a loving father. He's not a dictator who says, give me X, Y, and Z or else I'll punish you. And when you, but give it to me or else, it's give it to me so that I can bless you. I want our relationship to be good. But if you're not willing to put in the effort and to make this relationship working, I can't do anything. I can't bless you if you don't first put my needs first. Again, I'm not, it, said, it does not expressly state here that these rewards, the 100-fold, is granted in this life. In fact, typically it isn't. This world, we are promised nothing but persecution, heartache, and hatred. But we do not live our lives as a living sacrifice for this life. We live it for the coming one. I've always, I was told this a while ago, I can't remember who told me this, but this idea of when we come before God, do we want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the happiness of your master? Or... Just a simple welcome. Because that is a matter of, we can be saved and live our lives with little change and not live our lives as a living sacrifice. Basically live our lives for ourselves and only give to God here and there. We are still saved. We will still be with him for eternity. Praise God that is not anything beyond that. But, still, do you want God to be happy with you when you enter in? Or simply uh, like walking in on a estranged father who you barely know and haven't talked to in forever? And I'll, I'll say it one more time. God wants to bless us, but this life is not the end. And the rewards are not, may not be in this life. Typically aren't. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't trust him. Because he has never failed a promise and will not ever again. Well, ever. Not again. He never has. <laughs> so that's a matter of will you trust him? Will you say the reward in the end is worth the sacrifice now? Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are a loving God. A God who wants to bless us and reward us. You do not demand our sacrifice in our lives for you just because, but you do so because you are entitled to it and you love us and you want our relationship to be right. Lord, I ask that everyone who hears this, including myself, that we look at our own lives, that we see where we may be withholding from you, that where we may be thinking, oh, I can get away with not giving this to God. Help us, Lord, to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything, because we know, in the end, you are worth it. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.